I've had the opportunity and the privilege over the past 10 years or so to take part in a lot of children's ministries. For a long time, one of the, the primary ways that I engaged with the church at all was in my work at Camp Kintail, uh, where I acted as a counselor for two years. And of course, when you're a young person at any church, you're inevitably bound to end up somewhere in the Sunday school or helping out at Bible camp. So naturally, I've spent a lot of time with children in the church, doing children's ministry, and I think it's very important for the church to invest in children and in youth. But I've got to admit, I've never felt particularly called to doing that sort of ministry. It always just sort of happened, and to be entirely honest, I've never felt that I've been very well equipped for it. Don't get me wrong, kids can be great. But when it comes to dealing with large groups of kids over the course of many days, six hours a day, trying to harness all of that chaotic energy, when it comes to dealing with the little girl who won't stop neighing like a horse, or the two brothers who keep running outside to hang from the branches of the trees in the front yard, or the full gymnasium full of screaming children. When it comes to dealing with those things, all I can say to myself is, thank God for the teachers, because I could not do that for my whole profession. I graduated from elementary school, and I don't want to go back, to be entirely honest. I'm an adult now, and I need order and regulation in my day-to-day -day life. But at Vacation Bible School, those kids will turn your life upside down for six hours a day, five days a week. Because kids are full of this spontaneous energy. You know, they do and they say the most outlandish things, don't they? Especially when you get a bunch of them together in a small space where they can bounce off of each other. And that spontaneous energy, for me at least, can be exhausting. And it can be frustrating too, as I'm sure any teacher or any parent who's hosted a birthday party would tell you. Because sometimes kids just will not do what you ask them to do. Sometimes kids just have a mind of their own, and it seems like there is nothing you can do about that. I'll give you an example, although I'm sure you have many in your own minds. At our summer vacation Bible school in London at my home church, we often get many of the same children coming to our summer Bible schools from year to year. And often one boy would come that I found especially hard to deal with. I'll just call him Billy, because I think Billy is a good name for a delinquent child. And you know, Billy is just one of those kids that just refused to listen. And one day during the lunch period at Vacation Bible School, 
Billy was by himself in the sanctuary, kicking a soccer ball around. And of course, we had told him several times not to do that, but he decided he was going to do exactly that, kicking the ball intentionally as hard as he could, narrowly missing stained glass windows, knocking over musical instruments, and, you know, just barely missing the, the, the poor old ladies that were coming in to make snack time for the children. You know, they were dodging soccer balls, getting to the kitchen. So I had to come and bring my sternest voice into the sanctuary and say, you know, Billy, stop that, or something like that. And lo and behold, although a hundred times before the same words wouldn't have had any effect, this time it seemed to work. And Billy stopped kicking the ball and he picked it up. And he looked at me with all sincerity in his eyes. And he said, okay, mister, I'll stop. I'm sorry. And naive as I was, I trusted that faux sincerity. And I turned my back on Billy, thinking that all had been resolved. Well, not a second later, that soccer ball whizzes right past my head and smacks right into the back wall of the sanctuary and knocks a picture off the wall. And in disbelief, I turn around and I, I look Billy right in the eyes. And I could tell from his face that even Billy wasn't quite sure why he did what he did. But he certainly had done it. Again, this aspect of children's behavior can be incredibly frustrating and draining for we rationally-minded adults. But you know, we peace-loving adults need to be careful that we don't think of Billy and kids like Billy as the enemies of our peace, so to speak. Because you know, it could be so easy for me to just say to Billy, you know what, I'm just going to ignore you, except for the times when I have to tell you to stop doing something disruptive. Because a lot of time, all Billy did was try intentionally to get under my skin, or at least that's the way it felt to me. But to be honest, Billy wasn't all bad all the time. It's just easier to remember some of the bad things. And it would be a shame and entirely my fault if I allowed my experience of Billy's bad side, let's call it, to blind me to the things about him that might be good, the things that God put there to say, hey, pay attention to this kid. Our readings today from the Old and New Testament, 1 Samuel and Luke, well, you could say that they're complementary stories about children misbehaving and their guardians having to deal with it. So in the story from 1 Samuel, Eli, the head priest of the temple of the Lord at Shiloh, a pretty big deal in his time, is woken up in the middle of the night, in the middle of his rest, by his protege, the young boy Samuel. And Samuel wakes up Eli and says, here I am, you called me. But Eli thinks, just a second ago, I was snoozing away in dreamland. I could not have called you, Samuel. 
And as we might reasonably expect of a man of Eli's respectable age, Eli is fairly concerned with getting his rest. Lord knows his wicked sons aren't going to get much of use done around the temple. And all the help that Eli had was this little boy who keeps waking him up in the middle of the night. So we can understand when Eli shrugs Samuel off, saying, go back to bed. I'm tired. And so Samuel listens, and he goes back to bed. But then it happens a second time. He hears someone calling. And Eli does the same thing. Samuel comes, says, here I am. You called me. Eli says, you know, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And apparently, Eli is quite intent and concerned about getting his rest because it takes three times. Samuel coming to his room with the same story three times in a row. Here I am, you called me. Here I am, you called me. Here I am, you called me. It takes that happening three times in a row for Eli to think to himself, hmm, there's something unusual about what's going on here. And then it dawns on Eli. He perceives that the Lord is talking to the boy, that God is calling Samuel. Now, in my characterization of this story, we might say that Eli was a bit slow to catch on. But I do think he does one thing very right when he realizes that young Samuel is expressing something more than some inconvenient childlike behavior. And Eli is immediately willing to accept what becomes so plain to him from Samuel's behavior. That Samuel's behavior is actually associated with the activity of God. That God himself is speaking to Samuel. That God could be speaking through Samuel, a mere child. And amazingly, Eli doesn't balk at the fact that God would speak to and through a small child. He merely recognizes that it is the case. And he simply instructs the child, well, go back to bed. And when you hear God calling again, listen and obey. And still he does not balk, even when the news turns out to be quite poor for Eli himself. Eli shows that he knows what God is about in this moment when he speaks to and through little Samuel. In our story from the Gospel of Luke this morning, similarly, it's the story, I would say, of a young Jesus contributing to his mother's hypertension. The full family has just finished celebrating the festival of the Passover in Jerusalem. And they set out on the journey home, minus, of course, one young, very important boy. Jesus, instead, goes to the temple in Jerusalem. He doesn't tell his parents or any of his family. He just knows where he's going. Now, of course, from Mary's perspective, 
as from ours, no doubt, Jesus' behavior is, well, it's misbehavior. He's causing trouble for his mother and his father. He certainly made life very inconvenient for the two of them. And when Mary and her husband finally, after three days of searching the whole city of Jerusalem, when they finally find their son Jesus in the temple, Jesus just casually trading words with the rabbis, they are, say the scriptures, astonished. And this is understandable, to say the least. As are Mary's no doubt exasperated words to her son, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Or as a modern parent might say, what were you thinking? Your father and I have been worried sick. But Mary recognizes that there is something about this strange and admittedly inconvenient behavior of her son's that is somehow special. When he says to his parents, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Or in other translations, about my father's work or about my father's business. Mary recognizes the sincerity in her son's voice when he says these things. And we are told his mother treasured these things in her heart. Like Eli did with Samuel, Mary recognizes that God is at work in her son's life. Now you might say, well, Eli or Samuel and Jesus are all very well. They were responding to the call of God, but, but Byron, uh, Billy was just being a bit, of a, a bit of a delinquent, wasn't he? Just kicking that soccer ball around. Well, yes, but let me tell you another Billy story that might, that might change your mind a little bit about him. So on another day during our church vacation Bible camp, the kids made these things, right? These fortune tellers, like I showed the kids during the children's time. And these fortune tellers have been around for a long, long time. Generations of kids have made these and have bugged adults with them. And to be entirely honest, I'm never happy when kids make these. <laughs> because it means that for the rest of the day, they're going to be coming up to you. What's your favorite color? And you got to look down and you got to say, okay, my favorite color is blue. Then you got to wait, wait for them to go B-L-U-E. That's how you spell blue. And then they go, okay, pick a number. And you have to say, okay, three, one, two, three. You got to do it again. One, two, three, four. And then they open it up and they give you a fortune. Like, oh, you smell like feet. Or try again. Or something silly like that. I actually did get one once that said, you smell like feet. That's why I bring it up. It was quite hurtful. <laughs> and you get child after child all day long doing this when it's fortune teller, fortune teller day at camp. And it can be, as I've said, exhausting and draining to have kids coming up to you with these things. And yes, Billy 
made one of these fortune tellers. And he did just that. He followed me around all day long asking me, Byron, Byron, what's your favorite color? And you know, I'll admit, I'll be honest, I was a bit of a grouch. And I said, no, Billy, I can't do that right now. I'm busy. So he waits till lunch, and he comes out to me. Byron, Byron, come on, what's your favorite color? And I say, no, no, Billy, I'm busy. But finally, of course, I caved. Billy comes up to me, and he says, come on, favorite color. And I say, okay. My favorite color wasn't on there, so I chose green. G-R-E-E-N. So he does it. G-R-E-E-N. And then he says, pick a number. So I pick a number. Five. One, two, three, four, five. And then he asks me to pick another number, like we did on the floor there, just, just a few minutes ago. And I pick another number. One, two, three. And then Billy asks me to pick another number. And so I pick another number. One, two, three, four. And then Billy asks me to pick another number. And so I pick another number, and it wasn't till the fifth or sixth time that I realized he was just going to keep asking me to pick numbers. Because Billy didn't know what the end game of this fortune teller thing was. And I asked Billy, Billy, aren't you supposed to eventually read my fortune? And Billy looks up at me and goes, oh yeah. So, one more time for good measure, Billy asks me, pick a number. And then he opens up the thing, and it's blank. There's nothing written there. And I said, Billy, did you write anything in any of these? And he opens it up, blank, blank, blank. He had completely forgotten to write fortunes down. The whole thing was empty. Someone dropped the ball at Arts and Crafts and didn't teach him to do that. And uh, Billy was very concerned for a moment and embarrassed. But then he smiled and he looked up. And he says to me, he says to me, my apologies, and he says to me, I kid you not, your fortune is, you're the best friend ever. And I laughed, because it was kind of this funny moment. Billy was trying to extract himself from embarrassment. But in that moment, it wasn't just funny. My heart actually kind of melted just a little bit when Billy said that. You're the best friend ever. Because he wasn't just being that mischievous kid he's so good at being in that moment. This time it wasn't faux sincerity, like with the soccer ball. Billy really meant what he said. And as frustrating as Billy could be at times, as inconvenient as I so often found his behavior, as I tried to get from one end of the day to the next, I had to realize in that moment that for Billy, we actually did have a friendship. For him, we weren't just camp counselor and camper. I was someone Billy appreciated being around. And I hadn't thought about that at all. And so I needed Billy to say to me, you're the best friend ever. When we engage with children, when we work in the children's ministry of the church, as a church, we need to be committed, I think, to modeling our behavior after people like Eli and Mary, who did not always see, perceive, or understand things the way that children do. 
but who nonetheless recognized God at work in those children. The Church of Christ has the opportunity to recognize and to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in even the tiniest of us. And we as members of the church have the privilege to help foster the relationship between God and his children. But in order to do this properly, we need to be able to be humble, to curb our frustration with the unpredictability and fickleness of youth, and to submit to God when he chooses to speak through the spontaneous, sometimes too loud and sometimes too quiet utterances of children, rather than use the measured tones of a serious adult. So if we are to be a church which recognizes the voice of God in all of its legitimate forms, if our church wants to deal in real children's ministry, I think we need to ask ourselves two questions. Does my church recognize, as Eli and Mary did in young Samuel and Jesus, does my church recognize, one, the voice of God at work in the inner lives of God's children? And two, the voice of God speaking from the mouths of God's children. Let's pay attention and treasure in our hearts those things that God says to us in the voice of the children that we may sometimes feel a need to disregard. Let's not assume that the little kid who can't sit still and can't seem to help but be loud and disruptive during lessons has nothing of value to communicate to us. Because though we might find that children's behavior to be inconvenient to our plans, God may very well be choosing to speak to and through that child. And to God be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we pray for the humility, the wisdom, the patience to listen to the children of our world the way that you would listen to them, the way that your son Jesus would listen, not with prejudice and frustration, because children with all their yet unbridled energy and curiosity can sometimes behave in ways that we find inconvenient and annoying, but rather with care and attention, with understanding and appreciation. Help us not to fail in our obligation as Christian people to care for the children and help them to grow and learn in the love of Christ. And we pray that as they grow up, you will be with them, Lord, and provide them with protection and wisdom. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.